0: Alright, well let's pray. God, we're uh, sobered, but also thankful to uh, continue on in this task in the last bit of uh, peacemaking, uh, talking about forgiveness. And this is uh, this is just so challenging, and so we pray for grace and wisdom, uh, not just to know the right things, but to ask ourselves difficult questions about where we might harbor bitterness in our own hearts and what forgiveness may look like. So uh, be with us. Uh, in a special way, in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so this class is called Peacemaking and Presuppositions, and as I understand it, this will be the last part of the class on personal peacemaking, and then we will move towards the presuppositions. Um, and I was told by Tracy that it was a terrible name, and I think he's right. It's not a very, it is not a very it isn't. The title of this class is not exactly captivating. I have to confess. Uh, But I didn't want to say peacemaking and epistemology, because that would have been even worse. Uh, But we are going to move from interpersonal peacemaking to conflict resolution that has to do more with uh, disagreement uh, and and social conflict and and conflict that isn't interpersonal, but is two people come with conflicting views. Two people come with uh, conflicting agendas. Two people come with a conflicting ways of understanding the world. They're butting heads, sometimes nicely, sometimes not so nicely. What do we make of that? And how, do, how does how does stepping back and saying, "What do people's presuppositions tell us? What is it? What does it mean to know something?" So we're going to basically do an intro, a basic introduction to epistemology. You don't know what epistemology is? It's, a, it's the study of knowledge and justification. Okay. What's the difference between being right? And knowing something and just getting lucky. Um, what are our, how do we find out things about the world? When do we need an argument for something versus when can we just assume something to be the case? Does every single claim require evidence? What counts as evidence for something? When do I have a burden of proof? When does someone else have a burden of proof to demonstrate something? Those are really, 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 really important things uh, when, you are, when, when you're dealing with ideological, uh, theological, conceptual conflict to understand, okay, if we can step back and see what you're committed to before this discussion even starts, probably going to give a lot clearer picture of how to move forward. So I don't think we'll get that to that today, but that is what is coming next, and that's how we're going to close out the rest of the series, with an introduction to epistemology. Okay, however, that's not where we're at right now. We are finishing up the super important uh, uh, topic of Forgiveness, we talked, we, if I recall, we ended last time talking about this attitudinal forgiveness, a posture of the heart. We turn to Acts 7, which is Stephen getting stoned. We saw the example of Jesus from Luke chapter 23. And just briefly, well, it says that so I don't have to ask. It's a, it's a posture of the heart of forgiveness. It isn't that anyone has asked for forgiveness. It is a disposition of forgiveness and not wanting to hold something over someone or against Someone, regardless whether there's actually been reconciliation or not. And this is important, and we're going to get to how do I do this. This is what we're going to talk about. I've been wronged. Okay? I've been hurt. I've been sinned against. I'm being told that I should have an attitude of forgiveness, even if they haven't come and asked me for forgiveness. But well, how do I do that? Do you just try? I mean, it's like, well, just do it. Just have an attitude of forgiveness. Like get on with it. What's the problem? Is there is there anything to say there besides just, well, look to Christ. Okay, I'm looking to Christ, but I'm still I need a little bit more than that. Like, I understand the parable of the unmerciful servant. I understand, but like, how do I get there? I'm just not there. I want to forgive, I want to have an attitude of forgiveness. I just I just don't though. I'm hurt and I'm angry. I'm going to talk about that. But just to be clear, this does not require the offender asking forgiveness. Does not require the offender asking forgiveness. Look at this Thomas Watson quote. I put it, I think I put it, yeah. When we strive against all thoughts of revenge, when we will not do our enemies mischief, but wish well to them, grieve at their calamities, pray for them. Seek reconciliation with them and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. This is gospel forgiving. And it's hard. At least it can be very hard. Now let's just be honest. Some people here, just because of your personality, uh, are quick forgivers. It's kind of like... And you know exactly what I'm talking about if you're one of these people. It's like, yep, I forgive you. Let's just move on. Other people, "Mm, not so much. Other people though it's like a deep deep burn or a deep deep wound they just struggle mightily to have a disposition of forgiveness some people again are almost on the other side of almost not caring they care but it's like okay for home oh, so glad all right now we can move forward like nothing happened uh with, with maybe some you know some you know, practical consequences but in other people it's just really difficult so how do we Move towards attitudinal forgiveness. Because, of course, if you don't have this attitudinal kind of forgiveness, you can't have transacted forgiveness, right? If someone comes to actually ask you for forgiveness and you don't even have a posture of wanting to forgive them, you've got to have this one first. You've got to have a disposition of wanting to forgive, even if they haven't come to you and asked for forgiveness. But you say, I've been really hurt. I've been sinned against. By my children, by my spouse, by my friend, by my employer, by my whatever. Pastor, what do you have for me? Because I know I'm supposed to forgive, but that sounds like an abstract theological command. And and, and I'm just struggling to do that practically. What is that? How do I do that? Let me just... Uh, go through a couple of things. This is just kind of a pastoral theology here of moving towards an attitude of forgiveness with, of course, the background of the parable of the unmerciful servant. So we've already covered that, so I'm not going to cover it again right now. But we have this servant who's been forgiven so much, right? Um, And then he goes and withholds forgiveness for a much smaller... and, And so we have that. We also have, of course, the gospel itself. And we have the passages that I just looked at, examples of Stephen and and Jesus, of of giving this attitude of forgiveness. But you say, okay, I understand, I'm just not there. So a couple things to recall, a couple things to consider as you move forward, trying to get to this place of I have an attitude, a disposition of forgiveness. The first is to remember that our suffering... Which certainly, if you've been wronged or hurt like that, it would count in the larger larger category of suffering, I would say. Just like our victories is not our own. Our sufferings, just like our victories, aren't our own. Now, that's, a, that's kind of an odd way to think about it. Because it's quick to, people are very quick to say, when something really good happens... Oh well, to God be the glory. God, I give all the credit to God here. In other words, people are good in many cases—not of course all—but many Christians are good at giving God His due when things go well and talking about being blessed and all the rest. But it's interesting though that suffering somehow is, is either outside. Yeah, somehow it gets into its own little category, where that's something that's ours. That's something that's ours. It's not something that comes from God in any sense of the word. Uh, It's not something that we should even possibly be thankful for. But that's not what James says, for example, right? So remember in James chapter 1, just very briefly. All right. Oh, wait, going the wrong way in my Bible again. I'm sorry. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. James 1 verse 2. When you meet trials of various kinds. You think, you've got to be kidding me. What? I can't read any more of this book. Count it all joy. When you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may may be perfect and complete. Lacking in nothing. So here's a picture. If God is sovereign, then your suffering isn't your own either. Your victories aren't your own, but your suffering is part of a larger plan as well. And that is uh, sometimes difficult to wrap our mind around theologically, but it nevertheless is the case. We see it over and over in Scripture, and that's where we can press into the sovereignty of God. Closely related to that, then, is remembering the sufferings and injustice done to Christ, who promises to be with us to the end of the age. You say, I've been wronged, and no one came and asked. I've been deeply wronged, and no one came and asked for my forgiveness. You know, I was deeply wrong. And maybe they went to their grave or I'm going to go to my grave with no reconciliation. Well, you have a a, a Jesus who's like, hey, like, I get it. Like, I get it. No one came asking me for forgiveness. There wasn't that scene after the resurrection where he showed up to the, you know, the the chief priests and scribes. And they're like, hey, guys. And they're like, oh, Jesus, we are so sorry for what we did. It's like, no, no, that's not recorded. That didn't happen. Christ knows what it's like to be victimized, to be hurt, to be sinned against, and have no one apologize. And that Christ is, is promised to be with us. So, this is the ultimate Me Too moment, right? You say, I, I feel like I, I, I need to be vindicated right now, I want relational justice done. I've been hurt, and no one's even acknowledging that they've wronged me. And Jesus says, Me too. Like, I know. I know. But I promise to be with you, and, and one day you will have vindication. So remember that our sufferings, like our victories, are not our own as we're thinking through I've been hurt. How am I processing this to get to an attitude of forgiveness? I'm remembering the suffering and injustice done to Christ. And I realize that continued bitterness will only hurt me. It will only deceive me into feelings of strength in my anger. So let me just tell you something about anger, particularly when it moves into rage. People feel strong. People feel strong in their anger, especially when they get to rage mode. I'll tear down this house. You don't want to mess with me. Ah!" They kind of bring out their their Hulk because anger makes people feel strong. Of course, they're not really, though. They're not really stronger. They don't get more virtuous. They don't grow muscles. They don't do any of that. What happens is they just lose discernment and self-control and are willing to do more foolish things. That's why people feel strong. Because they're willing to consider a spectrum, doing a spectrum of things that ordinarily they wouldn't consider doing. Don't mess with me. You know I will. That feels like power. So It is a very compelling Delusion of strength and anger and sometimes and usually that happens in rage but sometimes it happens just in bitterness too it happens in bitterness and we have to remember that being bitter towards someone they don't care if you're bitter towards them it doesn't do anything to them the only person that affects is you the only person that affects is you i promise the other person doesn't care they don't even they might not even know the only person that your bitterness affects is you. And the well, and the people around you who perhaps are the uh you know, unwilling victims of your bitterness and overflows of it in your household or your friend groups or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So that's a great yeah. It's like, so so you everyone's heard for you know, bitterness is the poison you drink waiting for the other person to die, right? Well, like LJ just said, yeah, there's radiation that comes out too. It's like you have you ever been around a really bitter person? It's not fun. It's not fun. You're just always angry. You're just always <clears throat> <clears throat> It's like, how's that working out for you? Is it working out for you? Well, no, it's not. No one wants to be around this constantly bitter person. And you're not happy either. You're making yourself miserable. Bitterness will not make you will, will give you the delusion of being strong towards someone, but it'll really only hurt you, and it'll only give you, it'll deceive you into feelings of strength and anger. Um, but, but that's it's really a deception. And it will only hurt you. So we have to realize that. We have to pause, and we're trying to get to this place of attitudinal forgiveness. We have to realize that this isn't going to do anything for me. It's not going to do anything for me. It doesn't make me stronger, and that's why people stay there. Again. Why would I not want to move on? It gives me a sense of momentum. It gives me some kind of sense of subtle strength. When I think about these difficult things, if I can maintain a little anger, it's kind of like fuel in the tank. That's how I can look at these things and feel strong. If I, have, if I can hold on to some anger. It's not gonna, it, doesn't give you, it doesn't make you strong, and it will only hurt you. Number four, pray for the offender's good. You heard this in the quote here from Watson. Whatever God decides that looks like, now, sometimes somebody's good might be some meeting out of some justice. Sometimes it might be this person needs to be worn out. Sometimes it might be this, that, or the other. But why don't you just pray for that person's good and let God decide what goods looks like? Okay? Can we get to a place where we're praying for our, and even Jesus say, pray for your enemies? Am I right? So I say, I don't, I don't have an attitude of forgiveness, Okay, fair enough. As we walk through some of these things, why don't we start praying for that person's good? Why don't we start praying that the Lord would would bless them and bring them to a place of knowing him, of repentance, that there would be peace on his or her life? Whatever God decides, whatever path God decides to take that person through. To get there, you don't have to be the arbiter of that. You might say, because we tend to pray things like this, I want to pray for his good, which means... Going through the crucible, which means this, which means that she needs to suffer like I suffered to get a little retribution here. So, I mean, a good, you know, good father chastens those he loves, Father, calling down some chastening on this woman, on this man because of what happened. Pr- pray for their good, to the glory of God. It's like, hold on. You can just pray for their good and let God figure out what that looks like, it seems to me. Okay. So I do not have time to go into this next point extremely in depth. Because I've got a lot to cover. But I already mentioned it. I've taught on it before. It's two aspects of justification. One, initial justification in this life. Declared not guilty. Okay? We all kind of understand that, I think. Not guilty. Have the righteousness of Christ. However, one day, there will be kind of the second aspect of what I would call justification. Which doesn't have anything to do with being declared right before God in some kind of salvific way. But is a demonstration of one's righteousness and final judgment. Um, particularly in the resurrection, um, and that is one day you will be publicly vindicated, not just saved from your sin. Public vindication is part of the Christian story. It's not just you get saved for your sin and all those injustices, just, you just kind of have to say sorry, and there you will know, that'll, that'll, never be any writing of that. There will be no correction. Everyone will always think for eternity that you are the one who was wrong. It's like, no, there, there is something in the Christian worldview where things that were said in secret will be shattered from the rooftops. There will be a public vindication. And Jesus, by the way, this is the, this is the part of the Protestant doctrine of justification. Protestants skip over all the time. Makes me, makes me sad. Uh, but that is that Jesus Christ was raised for our what? Justification. So how many times in hearing the doctrine of justification do you hear anyone talk about how the resurrection relates to justification? Very little is the answer. Very little. What I'm suggesting is that Jesus got his eschatological vindication in the resurrection. That's one that we will meet, all all of us await. There will be public vindication. These were mine, they were right. These are not mine, you all were wrong, and therefore you all will depart from me because of what you did to these people. There will be a public reckoning. There will be vindication, which is another way to translate justification, actually, Okay? It says Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit. Translation, same word Dikaiya, word group. He was justified by the Spirit. Okay? So recall, remember, one day it's not just that you will just slip away from your sin and, and all these things will be just tragic things that you'll be able to get over in the new heavens and new earth. There will be a public reckoning. Public reckoning based off your fruit that is produced by a, a renewed heart that has been placed in you sovereignly by God. Okay? So you don't have to say, well, I just have to just kind of let it go and, and try to smile at the good things. There will be vindication. Does everyone understand the difference between salvation and vindication as I'm kind of saying it? Yes? No? Someone ask a question if you don't understand. It's very important. Okay. It would be one thing to think I'm going to get saved from hell, which is great. Hey, that's, that's awesome. Spend eternity with Jesus. It, it is an additional blessing, it seems to me, to have vindication. Instead of just, this is better than the veil of tears, so it doesn't matter. It's, no, it does matter. We're going to have a public reckoning. Understand that forgiveness does not mean you never re-experience the pain or righteous anger resulting from an event. It means you don't carry it around with you in life. And When you are caused to remember such things, you think about them through the lens outlined above. So, this is the one thing that a lot of people, I think, get wrong, and they wonder, have I actually forgiven? So something terrible has happened to them, okay? Something terrible has happened to them, uh, and, they, and, and then when, that, when those, those images or that scenario flashes back through their head, they have feelings of righteous anger or hurt or sadness or this and that, and they think, oh, no, well, I haven't forgiven. I guess it's possible that person hasn't forgiven, but that wouldn't tell you that, because when you go relive those kinds of things, you're obviously going to re-experience those kinds of emotions. Okay. That's like re-grieving someone's death, you know, after year two, year three. You think about what they looked like there in that casket, you think about these things, you get sad all over again. But the, there's a difference between re-experiencing pain or righteous anger when you recall these things, when these things are brought to mind, even if you see someone and it triggers that uh those memories a difference between re-experiencing the correlating emotions and carrying those things around with you in life just all the time. Right? Just all the time. Who am I? I'm the victim of this whatever. I'm this angry person because of what has happened. Um, and so I think people need to give themselves room to, when they do re-experience particular events and they feel a corresponding sense of pain or righteous anger they don't feel guilty because of that but what they do need to do is say okay now that I have re-experienced that offense and I've re-experienced that emotional response that I had historically to that offense and it just seems so unjust and perhaps it was now how do I move forward do I move forward and let that dominate me and just define the kind of person that I am or can I move forward in the ways kind of outlined above? Does that distinction make sense? Does that distinction make sense? Okay. Because it looks, so, so, yeah, because it's just very unrealistic to think that someone's going to have an atrocity. Let's just put it, examples are clearest on the periphery. Okay. So let's say Kimberly, she volunteers at the crisis pregnancy center. A lot of them, there's a lot of women there who are there because something terrible happened to them. Okay. Trying to choose life. Now, think how unrealistic it is to try to go tell that woman... Uh, you know, you're working through forgiveness and someone tries to explain to her that what that looks like is whenever, you know, that, that you should never have any sense of anger or bitterness or pain when the, uh, when those, when some of those moments flash back through your head. Well, of course not, folks, that's silly, that's silly. That, that forgiveness doesn't mean, this, remember, that's why we talked about forgiveness not being a feeling. It doesn't mean I'm not gonna re-experience feelings when I re those things and those images pop through my head and what happened to me and all the rest. Of course, the question is, is it something I carry around with me in my life and who it kind of defines who I am? Or is it something that I can remember, experience and move and, and move, move away from and move forward with? OK. Are there any questions about that particular one? I think it's a very important one. Yeah. OK. what's what 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 uh quote what what are you talking about, about um, um, and stuff like that. in james oh in james yeah 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 no, it says when you encounter all kinds of trials. Certainly, um, yeah, not all suffering is going to be in a Christian context. And sometimes, uh, in fact, hopefully most of it isn't. That's what you're saying, right? Yeah. Certainly, I mean, certainly it's going to include, certainly it's going to include suffering from, for Christ's sake. And I would say even, I would say in most, I would say in most cases, um, I think that's the primary emphasis there, is suffering for Christ's sake. Uh, but I don't think it's exclusively the emphasis. And I just kind of picked that out of many verses I could have picked um, as well. But, yeah, I certainly, I, I, I certainly think that this isn't um, – yeah, well, I don't, want, I don't want to speculate. So I think that just because of the structure of James, I think that it by and large is suffering because you're doing something righteous and you're being wronged. Right? You're, whether it's by an unbeliever or a believer, you're doing something righteous, you're living the Christian life, and you are getting wronged. I think it is that before the suffering because of my cancer, or something like that, in this context. Is that, yeah. Does that clarify? Yeah, and so I want to ask you, you about communication, um, it's part of the Yes. does that mean Yeah, good question. So the question for the camera is, with regards to vindic- vindication, am I saying that in every single instance where, and I'm uh, and make sure I'm saying what your, your question is correctly, where you know you were you you thought you were right, but you were you had been wrong, but everyone thought you were in fact wrong, or something like that. You got the short end of the stick. Will, will those all get like brought up and corrected or something like that? So I don't know the details of how it works. Yeah, I just don't know the details. I don't know if it's like, all right, now here's Roger's thought cloud, and here are all these scenarios getting replayed, and tr- tr- wrong. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Any more than I know how everyone's going to line up for final. I mean, there's, I just don't know. I don't know. I just know that there will be vindication that will be sufficient. It won't be like, oh man, but there was that one time we were playing pickup basketball and that person, you know, there will be a, there will be a vindication that will be sufficient where no one will be like, oh, but there was that thing that didn't get addressed. How it happens, I don't know. I don't know, but it'll, no one will be disappointed. No one will say, oh man, that person kind of did get get away with that one thing for eternity. It did kind of get slipped. I'm glad to be in heaven, but that one thing. And it's like, though, no, everyone will be satisfied with the vindication, but I don't know the details of it. Yeah. Yeah. Very good question, though. Yeah. And then we'll go, oh, you're just scratching your eye. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I going to John Hughes and uh the young age of 5 five hundred fifteen. and I forgive the. wants to what? I'm sorry. Oh, avenge. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm so sorry to hear that, Jesse. That is really, really sad. Um, but i tell you what. You know, what I've seen and what you've given testimony to is how the Lord has brought some healing and helped you process some of that anger and some of that hurt. And um so I'm proud of the way you've moved forward and, and we can be thankful for how God's been gracious. Okay? Yeah, thanks for sharing. That's tough. That's really, really tough. Anything else? Just might not be completely related or me slightly different topic. So forgiveness so we're bitterness. Mm-hmm. Um, so what if someone is they they forgive, but then they still they get hurt. Right. So we're so we're going to talk about that in just a second. I think yeah, we're going to talk about have I forgiven? Because it depends what kind of hurt we're talking about. It depends if yeah. It, so feeling hurt, I would say, does not mean you necessarily haven't forgiven. Right. Um, but 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 sometimes hurt is the precursor for to ramp back up bitterness and anger, right? So, I mean, there's a way to be hurt and carry that with you. Then there's a way to be hurt, and that is the embers that ignite fires. And the question is, which one's going on? But we're going to talk about that. Great question. Yeah, we have to talk about that. All right, finally, um, when talking about reconciliation with someone who's hurt you, another very important one, distinguish between I have no desire to have a relationship with you and I have no desire to have a relationship with the current version of you. This is a big one. So, like, someone is just awful in your life. They're just awful. We all have people that's just like, oh, my God. You've got to be kidding me. If they dropped off the face of the earth tomorrow, I would not shed a single tear. You know? Maybe we all have people who say that, or we, we could say that about, which might be a sad thing to say, but but uh, we probably do. They They seem to just cause problems. They have hurt us. They have taken advantage of us. They have used us. Um and maybe we would be sad if they just totally disappeared i mean I, the way i said it was very extreme for rhetorical effect but the point is we're like i don't want to have i don't want reconciliation with this I, I just don't want to have any relationship with this person because of the way they are because of x y z they're toxic they're hateful they lie they take advantage they've stolen my stuff they all of it And so in forgiveness, and desire, because remember we said where we kind of want things to be is reconciliation is going to represent restoring things to what they were before the offense um, in one sense. And so there's a big difference between not desiring to have a relationship with them at all and not desiring to have a relationship with the kind of the version of them that they currently are, right? So this is the most common, you see this most commonly in families, I would say could be a could be a child could be an in-law could be a, a whatever and it's like do i have a desire in the abstract to have a relationship with my fill in the blank my mom my in-law my this prodigal child yes but not until not not, not this version of them who is Toxic and ruining e- and every e- ruining everything who poisons everything that they touch is a threat to our family. yes, I want a relationship with them, but in order for that to even be possible, there's got to be some change. That's where you can still have a disposition of I want this thing, but this person's got to take some steps before that's even really realistically possible okay good uh, good distinction to make here, okay I want to suggest this any questions about like the practicals of how do I do this if I've been hurt? Again, these are supposed to be some practical tips to think through um, if I am struggling to forgive after being hurt or being wronged. Uh, some practical ways to help think through this, and then we're going to move on. Yes? Uh, I call it mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah, it sure does. Good. Good for you, Jesse. Keep going. Keep going to those meetings. Yeah. All right, well, I want to suggest that forgiveness can be boiled down into four promises, okay? Uh, this is what one way to think about it practically. Four promises here. The first is, I promise I will not dwell on this incident any longer. Not to be confused with not remember it occasionally or be triggered when I see that person or whatever the case may be. But this thing is not going to occupy an inordinate amount of real estate in my mind. This this event is not going to be something that I'm constantly thinking about. I'm in the shower. I'm driving in the back of my mind during a conversation, totally unrelated. I'm going to be thinking about this. It is consuming my thoughts, and it's at the front, or in some cases in the back of my mind at all times. So I promise I'm not going to dwell on this incident any longer because I have forgiven. Second, I will not bring up this incident to use it against you in the future. Okay, now some of this... I really, I, I struggle to know where to put this, by the way. Some of this is going to assume reconciliation and not just the attitude of forgiveness. That, you, that someone has come to you and asked forgiveness and you have, given, you have granted it to them, just to be clear, okay? I promise I will not bring this incident up to use it against you in the future. So, of course, the, the best example is the cheating spouse and there is forgiveness. Um, and, and then, but it's pseudo-forgiveness because it's like, okay, I forgive you, but if you ever do that again, it's like, I can really get over this. I can really, this, it's an amazing little phenomenon. It's like, okay, I can truly look past this once. But if you ever do that again, goodbye. In other words, which is, of course, in one sense, it, it sounds very reasonable thing to say, right? And, and I'm not trying to nitpick the person's language. But the idea is you have to ask, is that really forgiveness or is that a hall pass? Because sure, what it sure sounds like is like forgiveness on credit or something. It's like borrowed forgiveness Conditional forgiveness based on the future, but if you mess up again, your contract is void now. Okay, and um, and because and why is that? Well, because of the all these things that you've done in the past. Um, you just see this in run-of-the-mill arguments all the time. So we worked through something, and someone's bringing it up again to use that as the remember the one time you X Y Z. Like I thought we had already you know, i thought we had already worked through that, well, we have, but i i use i weaponize the past, okay that's what i do I not mean, not meaning not meaning me personally at least i hope i hope i don't, but that's a lot of that's a way to be powerful in an, in an argument with people is to bring up the past where you know you have some past victories and whack people on the head with it well if for if in if we're living trying to live out biblical forgiveness, we're not going to be bashing people over the head for things that we've already reconciled over, okay. That's not to be confused with saying something like, I've noticed this pattern. I've noticed this pattern, and I wanted to speak with you about it. I'm bringing up these things not as indictments on you. I'm bringing up a new concern as a result of an amalgam of this, of this pattern of behavior I've seen over the last months, years, whatever the case may be. I'm not using it as a weapon. I'm just trying to point out something. Okay, I promise I will not bring up this incident. Use it against you um, in the future if we have reconciled these things. So because we've reconciled, I promise not to talk to others about this incident. I'm not going to be able to, can you believe what they did to me? Let me tell you the story. Have you heard the details yet? Oh, my goodness. You know, Tricia sent me this text that John went to the Barbies, but he didn't. It's like, oh no, okay, no one needs to hear. If, if, if it's been reconciled, why are we still talking about it with other people? Are, oh, it's just to get counsel. Well, hold on, wait. If we're reconciled, we'll, we'll you know. Has it, it reconciliation and forgiveness happened? Good. Then you don't need to go tell everyone else someone else's sin. Okay? It's just gossip, just gossip, and then finally, a promise I'll not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our relationship moving forward, and that's the one that's going to have the asterisk next to it in some cases, okay, for some of the reasons that I mentioned because um, sometimes there are practical consequences to things, and that's what we're about to talk about, okay a um, promise I will not allow this to stand so so perhaps you forgive someone, and let's just say it's not for someone something atrocious uh but you' but I forgive you, but I don't want to have anything to do with you. It's like, okay. Again, we, there, there, are, there are circumstances that are very challenging. I'm, just trying to th- I'm trying to think of some I'm thinking in this moment something that's run of the mill, not some kind of nightmare scenario. So please don't put your terrible scenario into this principle and say hey, it doesn't work. I'm just talking about in general. Someone said, hey, I spoke to you in a harsh way. Would you please forgive me? me to say, oh, yeah, I forgive you, but I just don't want to talk to you anymore. There's something wrong there. That's what this is, that's what this, this is supposed to mean, okay? This is not supposed to be a complicated, this is not for a very complicated scenarios. This is just kind of a bread and butter dis- forgiveness, okay? However, sin has, as I constantly remind my son, consequences. And he can repeat that well. Sin has consequences. Even when daddy forgives you, Sin still has consequences. If you kill somebody and are very sorry, sin still has consequences. If you are a youth pastor who does something with a child, everyone can forgive you and you will no longer be a youth pastor, I can assure you, because sin has consequences. So, no forgiveness does not mean no consequences, but it does mean that you're not enforcing relational consequences to exact justice. Okay? That could be, especially in the stereotypical one is in marriage, I'm going to withhold myself from you. You're sleeping on the couch. I'm going to punish you relationally. Uh, that would be the kind that I would say forgiveness hasn't taken place. This kind of consequences, these kind of consequences oftentimes have to happen. So a couple of points here. True forgiveness does not mean that sin does not have consequences. And occasionally, because of the personal Relational nature of the offense, total relational restoration may be extremely difficult, but it's never impossible. No matter how nasty it gets, it's never impossible. You read stories like Corey ten Boom, you read stories about uh, people who have been taken advantage of uh, physically, sexually, psychologically. Sometimes this is really, really difficult, and sometimes you need to be away from somebody because they're a threat, they're a danger. Um, And there are, again, there are a lot of, and sometimes you have the, I want to have a relationship with you, but not but you've got work to do to make even relationship possible. Uh, No matter what the situation, it is still possible. I'm not saying it's necessarily likely in some of these nightmare scenarios that everyone's trying to fill in their head, but it is possible. And we should always remember it's possible. And we shouldn't stop praying for it. Because if we're convinced it's not possible, we'll say, I don't even care about being reconciled. It's not even possible. I've seen some very, very, very improbable reconciliations in my day that I probably would have said that are never going to happen. And it did. So even in the cases that seem like, okay, I'm, the best I'm ever going to get is an attitude of forgiveness, i can going to still pray for full reconciliation. Okay? By the way, uh, that 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 may mean that what you're maybe someone wronged you and you didn't even know them very well reconciliation doesn't mean you become best friends it doesn't mean like you upgrade your relationship it means you try to restore it to kind of what it was right if you didn't know them very well you might restore it to not knowing them very well and just you know hoping the best assuming the best something like that okay wisdom and context is required to understand or determine the consequences of an offense mercy with no consequences is always in the option pool you think of our buddy Jean Valjean, right? Stealing um, from the priest. Um, of course, when he stole the bread, there were you know he he got these disproportionate, terrible consequences, and goes to this work, this prison or whatever. But he is overwhelmed, if you remember, in the story, by this uh, this priest's kindness. Remember, I'm looking around. Does no one know what I'm talking about? Yes, Jean Valjean. Yes, okay. Um, yeah, and so mercy with no consequences is always in the option pool. But if you steal from me and I call the police and you go to jail, you can't say, "Oh, that was so mean of you. It's like, no, but I still have the option to just be like, oh, hey, look, there's more. You, you, no, of course I gave these to you. You forgot this silver too, right? Lame is. Uh, generally speaking, after true reconciliation, no consequences should be relational. In other words, I'm not trying to punish someone. I'm not punishing someone. Um, they're not getting the, you're sleeping on the couch treatment because I'm punishing you. They're not getting the, um, you're getting the, I forgive you, but now you're getting the cold shoulder until you earn your way out of relational timeout. Okay? That happens a lot. You're going to earn your way out of relational timeout by good behavior, and then you can come out. Okay? That's that's not forgiveness. That's someone who's enforcing relational consequences and trying to enforce justice. Okay? Um, okay. Oh, I've got four minutes to do this. I'll start, and then we'll finish this up. Uh, We'll finish this up next time, uh, and we'll get into the presuppositions, okay? Have I forgiven? Have I forgiven? I'm still hurting. Can I forgive if I've been hurt? Yes and no. Being hurt doesn't mean you haven't forgiven, because forgiveness isn't a feeling. But again, hurt might lead to things that might indicate you haven't been forgiven. Okay? Okay. So a couple of practical questions to ask, as practical as I can be here. Number one, do you hope the best for the person who offended you? Do you hope they prosper or that the Lord blesses the work of their hands? Again, I'm not saying that you're praying that the rest of their life is sunshine and roses. I'm saying, can you truly look at them and pray for their good, whatever the Lord determines that may be, and truly want their good, not be like, Ugh! I'll pray for their good, I, but I can't stand that I have to do this. Like, Can you actually desire their good and their transformation? If not, why not? Why not? There is potentially something there. Are you still holding something against them? Holding that, Remember, relational debt. Still holding that relational debt over them? Perhaps. Do you find yourself frequently returning to this offense in your mind and marinating in it? Does this become particularly acute when you see this person? Again, not to be confused with flashes and understanding, hey, I remember when this happened. Um, But is this something that, again, occupies this inordinate amount of space in your mind? You find yourself dwelling on it over and over and over, and you find those feelings welling up, and you just almost kind of feed them. You have bitterness feeding sessions where you remember what happened and just just get angrier and angrier. Just have your uh, little bitterness sessions in the shower, in the car, in a conversation. Do you find yourself frequently returning to this offense? If so, you might ask, have I, in fact, have I, in fact, forgiven? If this is dominating my thoughts, have I? And maybe you have. Maybe, again, these are not these ironclad rules. These these are little wind flags that you should ask yourself these questions if you find yourself struggling to answer. Do you tend to label this person in your head as the person who did X? Their transgression now defines them. Who is that person? The person who did this. Hold on, there's probably a lot more to them than that, you know. They've probably done a lot of other things other than that. Some good, some bad. But I mean, it sounds like you're reducing that person to a sin itself. Judy's the person who filled in the blank. Well, there's a lot more to Judy than just whatever she did. There's a lot more to Tim than just what he said at the football party that embarrassed you. Okay? Do you label that person because of their sin? That's how you see them. The person who did this. Red flag. Do you continue to bring up the offense in conversation with the offender or others as a reminder after you have extended, quote, forgiveness? Okay, we talked about this a little bit. Do you continue to bring this up? Do you continue to weaponize the past? Do you continue to try to gain conversational space and platform by bringing up an offense? That you've already offered. Well, just remember, I mean, I did work through forgiveness, but he did do this, you know, and I've forgiven him, but I just want everyone to know, that my, you know this person was unfaithful, but, we, but we, we, we worked through it, we worked through it, okay? Not a good look makes you wonder if that person's really forgiven anything at all, or they're gritting their teeth and just trying to make the best of it, okay? And finally, despite your extension of forgiveness, do you feel a strong aversion to restoring the relationship to what it was before the offense? Again, I forgive you. Um, I just don't have anything to do with you anymore because of that. Uh, it, hypothetically, or the current version of you, at all. I just don't resi- I don't re- desire reconciliation with a better version of you, a worse version of you, the present version of you, any of it. I just do not. I am against you. I am against you. Full stop. You might wonder if you've actually um, forgiven. You might want, that would be a strange kind of forgiveness, right? Especially when we look at the forgiveness in the gospel. I love you, says God, but I don't want to have anything to do with you. It's like, whew. that doesn't seem like the, the kind of forgiveness that we see loving others as Christ loves us, okay? Dope all right we will We will wrap up next time, and we will start on uh, the presuppositions i'm excited for that. please come ask me questions the The last thing I would want you to do is take one of these principles that is not designed to be some super specific to your disaster situation that you may be running through your head and be like, "Oh no, that one doesn't add up. If you have questions, please come talk with me, please talk with someone who's uh, an otherwise counselor uh, a friend, something like that to help you work through uh, some of these things and, and this is not a, a replacement for uh, difficult conversation surrounding forgiveness and, uh, and bitterness, okay? God, um, we're thankful to have considered these things. We pray that the things that were helpful will bear fruit in our lives. And if anything was said is not helpful or confusing, they would just be forgotten, slip into a quickly forgotten past. Now be with us uh, as we worship you in this next hour in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you.